new concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Reach your full potential. Reach your full potential. Small win, small win, small win. Keep your momentum going. The Success 101 Podcast. Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. At each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Success 101 Podcast. As always, this is your host, Jared Warren. Fired up to be here with you guys today. As always, we've got an awesome show. Couldn't wait to bring my good friend Dan Quiggle out to you guys, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear from him. If you guys would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do so is to shoot my team an email at info at success101podcast.com, or you can catch me in the world of social media on Facebook, on the Success 101 community page, on Instagram under the name at Success 101 Podcast, or on Twitter under Warren Jared. This show is brought to you today by the Human Charger. The Human Charger is amazing. You guys have heard me talk about this thing over and over. The good people over at Valky created this incredible device where white light with blue infused light LED earbuds go right into your ear canals and give your brain the same perception as looking at the sun. I cannot wait for you guys to go get this because it has been a game changer for me. I've owned mine for two years now. I'm looking at it right now. It's right over here in the studio. But I can't tell you how many times I felt a little sluggish. I felt a little down. I didn't want to take more caffeine. I didn't want to do anything stimulant-wise because it might affect my sleep at night. So I popped these LED earbuds right into my ears. It looks just like you've got headphones on, but this super bright white with blue infused light, the same spectrum as the sun, in fact, is streaming that light down your ear canals. And when it hits the photoreceptors on your brain, it gives your brain the same perception as looking at the sun. So guys, if you want to get charged up during the day, and be at your best, the human charger is the tool to make this happen. And I can't tell you guys how many times I've popped this thing in and it raised my awareness. It raised up my peak performance and helped me get on through the day. My team's got it set up for you guys to get 20% off of this amazing device called the sun in your pocket. All you have to do is head to success101podcast.com forward slash human charger. Again, success101podcast.com forward slash human charger. Be sure to go to that link so that they know we sent you guys and you'll grab 20% off if you put success 101 in the promo code. So just don't forget to put that success 101 in there. That way they know we sent you guys, snag your 20% off and get on to higher levels of peak performance. This show is also brought to you today by Ample. My good friends over at Ample have made the incredible meal replacement drink, this 400 or 600 calorie quality goodness in a bottle of ingredients from all around the world to get your brain and body rocking in peak performance. I grab mine as I go out the door each morning, throw a little milk in that thing. You can throw cold brew coffee or water or juice or whatever in the world you want to put with it. And you've got incredible ingredients from all around the world that you don't have to chop and blend. You just take that thing. And if you're in a hurry like I am each morning to get out the door and get rocking, it's going to be your ultimate meal replacement shake. Head to success101podcast.com forward slash ample. That's A-M-P-L-E. Don't forget when you get to the checkout section to enter success101, you'll get 15% off your order. And I've loved hearing about you guys who have gone and grabbed ample and what a game changer it's been for you. Once again, guys, my book is still available from success to significance for just the shipping cost here in the United States. 
If you go to my website, success101podcast.com forward slash book, you'll get the paperback version for just the shipping cost by entering success101 in the coupon code. My team will send that thing right out to you. If you're not in the United States, choose the ebook reader and also go check out my coaching programs over there on the coaching tab if you want to take it to the next level with me one-on-one as we go through my coaching modules together. Can't wait to meet more of you guys. Now, on to our awesome show with my friend Dan Quiggle. Dan is one of these guys that you meet that you just know that he's got the recipe for success. He's an entrepreneur. He's a leadership speaker. He's passionate on many levels about inspiring leaders in their pursuit for extraordinary leadership. And he empowers people to lead with a purpose. He began his career with the post-presidential office of Ronald Reagan. What an incredible job where he had a front row seat to history, learned leadership from one of the best, the Gipper. And Dan said Reagan was one of the most gifted leaders the world has seen in a generation, politics aside, just who he was as a person. You're going to hear a lot about that today. Dan has spent his career refining and studying leadership skills, not only during his time with Reagan, but what he's done in his life since then. And I just can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. So without any further delay, let's jump right into my conversation with the one and only Dan Quiggle. Dan, welcome to the show. How are things today? Great, Jared. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm fired up to have you here for a lot of different reasons. And you and I were talking a little bit offline about the path you've been on and the journey you've been down that I can't wait for my listeners to hear about. I know you're traveling today. I think you said you're out in San Francisco, right? I am in uh, Northern California. I, I always just get jealous. I was in San Diego last week and it was pretty cold down there actually, but up in the wine country and San Francisco, I mean, those are two places. Give me a ticket any day. Our listeners are going to find out today about your association with Ronald Reagan, which unbelievable. I mean, once in a lifetime thing that you got to spend quite a bit of time with him and his legacy is something that I have always alluded to and followed and just the lessons that he taught all of us whenever he was in office, just phenomenal president. But also some of the myths around work-life balance, how to view crisis, maybe some burnout and fatigue in there as well as we were discussing and then a lot of other things that we're going to get into. But why don't you start on the Reagan piece? And I know there's a lot of lessons there, but how did you get started with even a connection with Ronald Reagan? And then if you do, if you wouldn't mind, go into some of the things that he taught you. Imagine this. So I'm 12 years old with a Ronald Reagan for president sign sitting on you know the edge of our front yard. I mean, I was a huge Reagan fan early on. In high school, I would dress like Reagan. My friends would dress like Secret Service for <laughs> Halloween. We'd go through the hallway. You know, I mean, I was just this Reagan junkie. End up going to UCLA, become president of the UCLA College Republican Club. And who was president at the time? Ronald Reagan. And where did Reagan like to go? Los Angeles. So I started getting calls from the White House staff. Dan, we're going to be in California. Can you grab 20 volunteers, drive in the motorcades, carry bags? Heck yeah. Every single time I did, you know, I'm like, I would get business cards from the dig- dignitaries, from the staff. I would send out handwritten letters the next day. If I could help you in the future, please let me know. Sincerely, Dan Quiggle. And the more people I met, the more letters went out. What was I really doing? I was just networking, right? I was just meeting new people, uh, building relationships. Well, it paid off because two weeks before President Reagan gets out of office, I got the call I was hoping for. And they said, Dan, how would you like the opportunity of a lifetime? And you don't say no to that. They said, how would I come work up at President Reagan's office? So I started February 6, 1989, days after he left office, actually on his birthday. Uh, the year and a half that I was directly in the office, Mother Teresa, Malcolm Forbes, Gorbachev, Margaret Thatcher. I mean, it was just this incredible front row seat to history. Holy cow. And, uh, and, and it was just, you know, it was so neat to see leadership up close and personal. And there's a great saying, if you ever have a hero, don't ever meet them. Because typically, you know, you're let down, 
or you're disappointed. And instead, I met my hero and he the pedestal only went higher and higher and he was even better in person than you ever dreamed he was going to be. Wow. And that just speaks to his legacy. I mean, there's a lot more that people my age and, and even maybe some your age, you know, you were young back then as well. And, and just maybe people just weren't into the political or current event type things. And just the legacy that he left that I've studied over the years have just been awesome. I mean, this is a guy that reduced the unemployment rate from seven and a half to right at about 5%. He survived, of course, an assassination attempt really turned the world upside down talking about the Soviet Union and how he treated them and, and compared them as, as they should be, and then really ended up ending the Cold War. So his re-election also, one of my favorite stats on him is his re-election was a landslide, 525 electoral votes, the most in U.S. history. I mean, the guy's got something super special about him. And then you get to take, not at the beginning of his presidency, but you get to take a ride with him, so to speak, after he's already out of office I mean, that just had to be incredible get to learn from him each day. Were you pretty much right there beside him each day or what capacity did you serve with him? So I, I never overplay this. I mean, I was, see, there were 12 people that came, you know were in that office at the time. 11 came from the White House. So I was essentially the only non-White House staffer you know, that was in the office. So I was the lowest of the low, I'll just be honest with you, but we got to see him every day. I mean, travel with him. It was this incredible front row seat to history. And you know what I really loved the most about it? There were two Ronald Reagans. You know, what you saw out front was what you, you know, you see behind the scenes. And that was just so refreshing because in a day where, you know, we're so jaded by leaders that are saying things maybe they don't believe or going with the flow, Ronald Reagan was true to his principles. He fought hard for what he believed in, but he also had these great leadership traits that made him so different and so unique. You know, he had this attitude of gratitude. Uh, you know, he had what, what we call a kitchen cabinet. There were certain traits and actions that I saw in the president that I was able to take and kind of use throughout my life. You know, apparently this is what real leadership looks like. It's not about demanding or demeaning or demoralizing. It's about inspiring and motivating and appreciating. And I saw that in the president every single day. And it really was just a great foundation for me as I started to lead my own family, my own business in my own in my own life. You know, I've heard that before from some of my guests. It's just if you want to be a true leader, don't change who you are. And that's incredibly hard in today's time because you're getting pulled in so many different directions with so many opinions or so many, I mean, just let's face it, the world is different today. Politics is different. Leadership is different. You can be pulled in so many different directions just based on however you feel that day or whatever. And so if you're the same person all the time, I mean, that was such a good model for you to be able to follow back whenever you were with him. What would you say? And I know, again, we're going to move along from Reagan here and get into some other stuff that you're working on, but what was your favorite story about him, if you've got a favorite story to tell during your time there with him or, or even when you weren't with him? Yeah, no, I, and, and, I, and I, of course, love talking about Ronald Reagan. I mean, he, he's my hero, so I have no problem with this. But I will say that he had very specific traits and actions that I saw that made him successful um, that I was able to identify just as an outsider looking in. The first one was he had this attitude of gratitude. And my favorite Reagan story, I'm sitting up at the office one day, the phone rings. It's the president. You never get used to that. And he, he said, Dan, could you do me a favor? Could you go to the gift closet, grab some gifts and meet me down at the car in the garage? Well, literally, there is a gift closet with, you know, hundreds of tie, tax, cufflinks, presidential seal and engraved, you know, signature engraved in gold on the back. I mean, really neat stuff you couldn't buy in just any store, beautifully wrapped. And I grab a handful and I go down the garage. Well, this is a massive building. Um, a matter of fact, he was in the Die Hard building from the movie Die Hard. After he left office, we had the 34th floor of that building. So that's Fox Plaza. So we're the top floor. Well, it's a big building. So I go down the garage. What I didn't realize was in that garage, there was a guy from Mexico. He didn't speak a lot of English. He wore top hat, tails, dress shoes. It was a very nice building. He dressed the part. And so every day 
when Reagan's motorcade would enter that garage and it was a long distance, this guy would run to the outskirts of the garage, which was a long distance, and he would stand and salute the motorcade. And after the motorcade would pass him, he would then run back the entire distance, which again, is no short distance, in top hat, Dale, tails, dress shoes. Just unsolicited. That he wasn't bought, part of his job. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. He, he had bought his own American flag and he would stand and hold the door for the president and hold the American flag every day. I love it. Well, classic leadership, President Reagan recognizes what? This guy's going above and beyond, isn't he? This is not in his job description. So I meet the president in the car. He's like a little kid. He's calling me over. I have no clue what we're doing. I, I go to hand him the gifts. He's taking them. We start walking toward the door. There's three Secret Service agents, myself and the president. And he stops at this guy. And the guy just starts shaking. The flag is shaking. The door is shaking. He's so nervous. And President Reagan <laughs> looks at him. And he says, you know, he said, you know, every day I come through this door. And every day you make me so proud to be an American. The way you stand there with that flag, the pride you take in your job, he said, I know it's not much, but I want to give you a few tokens for, uh, you know, of my appreciation for what you do every day, which is make my day. And he goes to hand him the gifts. Well, you have to picture the scene because the guy's trying to hold the flag, hold the door, grab the gift, shake hands. He can't do it all. So one Secret Service agent jumps in to grab the flag. The other one jumps in to grab the door. And I'm standing there going like, you know, I love you so much. You're such a good person. You know, almost tears in my eyes because that's that's who he was. And the, and the best takeaway about that, Jared, is this wasn't a publicity stunt. There was no one there. I was the only one that could have done said, you know, done something, taken pictures, said something, and he just did it. So again, imagine me, you know, getting to see that this is what real leadership looks like. It's about appreciating people, thanking people, building people up around you, investing in people, and Reagan did that on a regular basis. And you may have just mentioned what I was about to ask you, which was what was the biggest leadership lesson Reagan probably taught you so many different things about different facets of life, just being the person that he is. But the biggest leadership lesson, I'm assuming it would be some of the things that you just mentioned, right? As far as the the people around you. Yeah. And, and it's exactly that. So I actually, um, I talk about this a lot. President Reagan had what he, this is one of the, the actions that I saw him. He had what he affectionately called his kitchen cabinet, a group of trusted friends, advisors. And, and he counted on these people and, you know, every president has a cabinet, secretary of defense, secretary of transportation, secretary of education, and they meet like a board of directors. Right, right. Reagan had what he officially called his kitchen cabinet. And this group of friends offered three things, brutal honesty. You know, th these were not yes people. He was not a sycophant. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how beautiful I am. Tell me how strong I am. No, tell me when I'm wrong. Like anchor me down. I'm about to be pulled in a million different directions. I need all of you right here. So they had that brutal honesty. They also had a shared vision. Not the same vision, but a shared vision moving in the direction of success for all of them. And, and, and they were success-oriented, the third one. They, they all wanted to be the best in whatever they were doing. And I just think that that really impacted me because what I saw in life that he really counted on these people. These were not big-name people that every, everybody would know. These weren't movie stars. or you know, They were just successful people in their own right. And I am convinced, and this is what I've seen over the years, even within my own podcast, Garage to Goliath, or when I do these interviews, I am convinced that there's power in peers. If you take the top 10, 15, 20 people that you hang out with, average them, that's about where you're going to be. So you constantly at the top pulling everybody else up or you at the bottom being pulled up. I mean, I always say if I had to pick my top 10, 10 being, you know, the best and, I, you know, I would want to be like in the third position. I want to help people because everything I have had in life is because somebody helped me but I also want six, seven, 10 people above me who are smarter than me, 
more successful me saying, Dan, get your act together, dream bigger, be better. Yeah. One of the things I've learned about leadership is a lot of times the things that really make you a person and make you better and are really hard sometimes to go through, if you, especially if you don't know how to take it, is the things that you hear that you don't necessarily want to hear, but you need to hear. And I know I've met a lot of people that know they can admit to you that having that, you know, in your case with Reagan, talking about Reagan, the kitchen cabinet, I've, I'd heard that before. It's uh, coming full circle now that you mention it again. That brings back memories of just times in leadership or times I've been coaching people or talking to people where they can admit and deep down know that they need that inner circle. They need that kitchen cabinet, whatever you want to call it, of people that will really kick their butt and tell them the things that they need to hear, not that they want to hear. But then every time I follow back up with them, I say, have you set up your board of advisors yet? Have you set up that group of people? No, I haven't. And there's this big hesitancy because I think even though we we know certain times what we need to do to be a good leader, it's that vulnerability, that exposure that keeps us from doing it. I would agree with you. I think there's a hesitancy. But plus the reality is we just get busy with life and other people are busy with life. So to take time to talk and meet and whatever is necessary is is becomes more difficult. And so, but I will say this, that when I speak to CEOs, on a, which I do on a regular basis, at this point, you know what I have them do? I have them write down five names. And I say, they can't be in this room because you already have this room of friends. They can't be part of the family because you should already be talking to the family. And they definitely cannot be your employees or on your board because how honest can sometimes we really be with those people? I mean, it's hard just to, you know, because sometimes they're like, should I be helping this person or looking for a new job? And so I want people to look outside the comfort zone. It could be a friend, a coach of your kid's soccer team. It could be uh, somebody in your industry that you admire or a yoga instructor or a personal trainer because you view their, you know, love their view on health and wellness. But I just want you to come up with names and then I actually have them put down a date by which they're going to contact them because I say, look, I'm not your babysitter, but you wrote these names down for a reason, engage them. And the neat thing about the kitchen cabinet is there's no formal invitation necessary. It's as simple as calling somebody up and saying, hey, I've always admired the way you live your life. You build great teams. You work with your family or love your family. I want to be better at that. Do you mind if we talk about it every once in a while or grab lunch or, or, or coffee? But it, there is, again, just power in peers. And I actually just, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I just wrote an ebook about it. It's, called, it's at quigglegroup.com, quigglegroup.com forward slash kitchen cabinet, because I just think it's such a, a necessary part of growth of the journey and to try to be a better leader. How often did Reagan meet with his inner circle, his kitchen cabinet that you personally were able to, to witness or was it was it just random? I, I would assume a guy like him, it was pretty planned out. Well, no, I, I would say, you know, again, no formal invitation or no set like meetings that I knew of. I mean, these were just people that he consulted. So to give you an example, the other day I was going to invest in this business. Well, before I invest in anything, who do you think it goes out to? I mean, I talked to my family about it. I talked to, of course, my wife about it. But I, I mean, I w it went straight to my top, you know, five, 10 kitchen cabinet members. And by the way, if seven out of 10 would have told me no, guess what I wouldn't be doing? But instead, you know, almost all 10 came back and say, hey, Dan, this looks great. This, you know, I would take that risk. Well, I trust these people implicitly. I, I value their opinions. A lot of them are much smarter than me. And so I'm going to listen to that and I'm going to run with it because I know there's no ulterior motive. They're looking out for my best interest, just like I'm looking out for theirs when they ask me similar questions. But we use each other like a board of directors without having to give out stock, but it's a board of directors for our life, for our business, you know, for our businesses. But I just encourage your listeners, um, you know, to really look deep at who, who, who's, you know, who's got their ear, ear, who are they listening to on a regular basis? 
and, and to make sure that you're always upping that ante and making sure that you have the best people around you that are giving you advice. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, that's the most important thing is getting that advice, whether it's an actual set meeting. I know people that do a board of advisor meetings quarterly or every month or, you know, twice a year. What Dan's saying here, guys, I hope you're hearing this through what we're saying here is just make sure you have those people around you that you can consult with, that you can plan with. And even it's not, even if it's not a formal scheduled out thing, make sure you have those people around you. And Dan, back to my point earlier, I just find that a lot of people whether it's just I'm independent and maybe I know that would be good for me, but I just don't have the time or I don't have the the mental capacity to add something else to my plate. I just find that a lot of people are not getting those relationships, that kitchen cabinet in place either fast enough. I've heard a lot of people say that I didn't do it fast enough, should have done something like that five, 10 years ago, or every time you follow up with them, there's a re, you know, kind of a new reason why they haven't done it yet. And, you know, you could fill in the blank with different things there. I know you've been a CEO before. You've started businesses and sold businesses. We've obviously mentioned your Reagan story and and being able to do really fun stuff like that. Now you're a keynote speaker. You speak all over the place and help people. What do you feel like our leaders, whether old or young, are really missing out on today that is keeping them from hitting the mark? And I don't just mean people who are in leadership position, so to speak, that maybe have a lot of this figured out, but aspiring leaders, people that just keep trying to get into a leadership role or trying to make leadership work, but they're just not hitting the mark on what they're trying to do. What would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, I would say there's two things. I would say first, the vision. I mean, I would argue that at some points in our life, um, especially when you're leading um, teams and companies, our role is to be the visionary leader. I mean, somebody has to dangle the carrots because really what, what are your employees or what, what are the people around you thinking about? If it's 930 in the morning, they're probably thinking about lunch. I mean, just to be honest, that's, you know, where are we going? Who's going right. out? What at 130 in the afternoon, what are they thinking about? You know, are we going out for drinks? Am I picking up food on the way home? You know, do I need to pick up the kids? Am I going to soccer practice? Like that's just the reality of life. So as leaders, visionary leaders, we have to create such a compelling vision for them that they want to be part of what we're doing. And they see value in it and they get excited about it and, and, and they, they're motivated to do it. And, and, and I will say this, I've seen this in my podcast because it's, it's a theory that I've had all along. I am convinced that people set goals all the time, weight loss, health, travel, finance, but they forget the most important components. What I've seen is that real leaders set very lofty goals, but here's the differentiator. They show everyone around them their role in it. And here's the kicker. What do they get out of it? I mean, do we not want the dangle carrot? Like I always ask people like, don't you want a fantasy, a life, you know, so that you, a, a goal that you can go after, that you can go to bed dreaming about it, wake up foaming at the mouth about it, like fantasize about it throughout the day because you want so much to be part of it. And, and, and that's when you really get people to kind of put aside the five o'clock to, to, to focus in and zero in. And, and that's how real goals are set. And by the way, real leaders know that that plan is going to change, that goal, because we're spinning really fast on a dangerous planet. Crazy stuff goes down. So they're not, real leaders aren't even phased by the change. What do they do? They just look at the new landscape, set the new lofty goal, show everyone around them their no, new role in it, and they move down the track to, you know, what they get out of it, they move down the track again. And I just love that. I think that that, so first we need to be visionary leaders. The second one is this whole, I think we need to shatter the myth of work-life balance. This is the biggest complaint that I hear these days. There's just not enough time. Well, guess what? When I'm speaking, I'll ask these CEOs, I'm like, so how many, you know, how many of little kids? And they'll say, you know, they'll raise their hand. They'll go, I do. I have three. And they'll say six, four, and two. And I'll say, what time do they go to bed? And they'll say nine. And I'll say, what time do you get home from work? And they'll say six, six thirty. And I'm like, that's two and a half hours, three hours. And yet still some of you tonight will walk into that house and say, put the game on. 
or I need to return conference calls, or I need to jump, you know, jump, jump on the computer and return some emails. I'm like, they've been waiting. They've been waiting all day. Give them a fraction of the time you just gave all those people. I mean, and, and that's all they want. And, and, and not just in the building, like I'm home, I'm home, I'm in the building. No, I'm talking about actually engaging, like follow-up questions. Remember those? Not just the how is school check, how are you, honey, check, and I walk to my man cave, but like actually engaging them. You know, who's your, who are your best friends? Why? You know, what's your favorite, who's your favorite teacher? Why? And actually listening to the answers. And, and, and then I asked this question, Jared, and this is probably out of a three hour presentation I give. It's so interesting. I'm talking about business and, uh, you know, emotional intelligence and leadership. And I get more comments on this than any other. At this moment, I say, I'm going to ask you a question and it's going to sting a little bit because all of you are going to know the answer. And they all sit back in their chairs. and I say, so who gets the worst of us? the absolute worst of us. And they all put their heads down. They all go, my spouse, my family. And I say, but especially, and they go, the spouse. And I say, so if that's not the case, congratulations. If it is the case, it ends today. The reign of terror is over. I'm like, you wouldn't treat your best client that way ever, would you? You wouldn't even talk to them in that tone of voice. They could cheat on you with a competitor, you know, never return your emails. We'd still be standing at their door going, we love you. You know, we're, we're ready to do business, whatever you are. We go home, one thing goes wrong, the beast has been unleashed. And, and I really just challenge them to treat them like their best client. I got I spoke in Mackinac Island, Michigan six months ago. I get an email two weeks after that event from a woman I've never met in my entire life. You know what it said? I don't know who you are or what you really said that meeting, but on behalf of my family, thank you. For the first time in 15 years, my husband has been home early, engaged with me, engaged with the kids. He said he didn't know where he was wrong, wrong in life, but that you showed him light. We've got to create visions, give them hope, and we've got to be present in the situation where they're work or at home, and better things will come out of that. Hey, yeah, I felt like you were speaking to me there a little bit. My kids are six, four, and two. Oh, I didn't even know that. L- luckily, I learned uh, this, you know, just from observing yeah. others a while back. And what I noticed from my own kid, you know, because you're normal as you're normal, right? And you may think you're doing certain things or watching out for certain things, and you can still fall in ruts. And what I noticed was, is whenever I was going home thinking, oh, I'm not that guy. I'm not just in the building. I'm engaged. You know, I'm whatever. But on some days, it's easy. It's easy to say, let's do this or let's do that. And you're just kind of there and and life's happening, but you're not really there. You know, you you show up, but you don't really show up, right? And what I noticed is even my kids at the age they are, which they were probably a year or two younger, one of our first noticed this, is when you don't engage with them, that becomes the new normal where, yes, they've been waiting for you all day long, but the new normal becomes they don't really seem to notice a whole lot when you finally get home because it's not any different. Like you're just going to go do whatever you're going to do. And so I learned that really quickly is that they're going to stay engaged and continue to want you if you engage with them whenever you get home. And and you're right, the spouse. I had someone, a good friend of mine one time said, it's like uh, my buddy BJ, he said, it's like you're filling up garages. It's a three-car garage. You keep the first garage clean because you want everybody to see it. Second garage, you throw a little bit of junk in. The third garage just gets all of your junk because it's kind of the you know, the stowaway garage. And that's like our family, you know, all the people we're working with during the day, get that first one. Some people, our staff or whatever might get the second one. Then we go into our family and it's just all our junk, you know, when you open up the door to that one. So I totally get what you're talking about. And thanks for that reminder. You've talked to a lot of people in your role. Um, What are they actually, we say work-life balance or we say work-life integration. What 
do people really envision in their mind when they say that or they say they're struggling with it? What have you learned people are really dealing with or need to deal with to get through the right frame of mind of that? Yeah, I think first you need to understand that, and I know this is a cliche or you could talk, but like at the end of the day, you're not going to go, hey, I'm so glad I made that 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 meeting every day. You know what I mean? Or uh, that I never missed that appointment. You're going to remember the trips you took with the family and the, and the good times and the experiences. I mean, it's not even about things. It's about experiences. A lot of these people think success is being able to provide this big bank account and everything else, but they're never there. They're absentee. I guarantee you those kids would trade all of that for more time with mom or dad, yeah. more trips you yeah. know, to the Bahamas or more trips to the Grand Canyon. And, and they're going to remember those things. So I just, I challenge them to kind of put things in perspective. And it is the biggest complaint what, you know, when they're going around the table, and they're talking kind of about their week or their month. And, and it's always, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I don't, I'm convinced the time that they have, they're not even using wisely. And by the way, I'm talking about being present at work too, because sometimes we're at work doing things that have absolutely nothing to do with work. Then why even be there? So then we need to make sure that we're present in all aspects in our life. But I just challenge them to put things in perspective and really look at what matters. Because here's the thing, you know what I say at this one point, Jared, when I end my speech, you know, toward the end of my speech, I say, what will your legacy be? And then I ask a question that messes with me mentally, like it totally messes with me. But I say, if you don't have children, just insert friend or family. But here's the question. How will your children describe you to their children? Mom, dad, what was grandpa really like? Well, I'm not sure he was never there. Or man, he loved me more than you could ever know. And then I have them actually write down the legacy that they want. But I say, not what they would say. No, I don't even care. In your wildest fantasy, what would you want them to say? Like, how would you want to be described? And it's so interesting because I mean, they'll like tear up. I mean, they're it's emotional because they're like, they'll write that, that he loved me, that he was present in my life, that he he was fun. And then they, they literally say a, a lot of times, but that's not what they would say at all right now. And you know what I say to that, Jared? I say, listen, if this isn't what they would say, who cares? You can't change it anyway. But what can we change moving forward? Why did you? Why did I have you write that down? Because you can actually make this happen. But you have to make it happen. You have to actually be fun. Yes, you have to be present. Yes, you have to, you know, show love. And 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 it can't just be like, hey, don't you remember the trip to the Grand Canyon we took six years ago? Yeah, Dad, I remember. But you've been yelling at me nonstop for the last six years since. But see, in our minds, we just, you know, we talk about the trip and so much of, of success in life. I'm not saying don't work. Okay. I have to work. There was no trust fund here. Okay. You know, I have to work, but I'm just saying, I want to be, if they have three hours, Jared, it's going to be the best three hours they've ever had in their entire life. Cause down's going to go to the cell phone. The conference calls can wait and I'm going to actually engage and I want to be fun and I want to show love and I want to be present. What a great reminder. So many times you you think about the times where you hear people say it's not the things that people did in their career or in their successes, as you just mentioned, that they're going to remember when they're on their deathbed or the end of their life. It's all these other things. I remember uh, at my wife's graduation at Texas A&M University, George H.W. Bush came and spoke and he said, I've been all over the world. I've done you know these things. I've done that. But I've learned in my older age that the greatest thing in life is your connection with friends and family. And you hear that and a lot of people just go, yeah, yeah that sounds, that's nice. It feels warm and fuzzy. And I think as we all get older, we realize like, wow, these people who are older than us were right. And how much time have we been spending just frivolous, frivolously chasing things? You know, I tell my girls the same thing. It's like, they're like, why do you have to go to work? I'm like, because you wouldn't have the stuff you have if I didn't. So we have to work some. But yeah, where, where does that, that integration come in? Let me ask you, you said that one of your, your topics or 
what got us on this path is the idea of shattering work-life balance. How do you really teach your clients and the people you're speaking to? How do, how do you teach them to shatter that work-life balance? There is no work-life balance. Like I put a no over top of it on, on the screen. And I say that I just chat, I switched years ago to work-life presence, which, which just saved me actually. It really did because now no longer did I have the guilt, you know, of working. It was, Hey, look, I know I have to work and I'm going to be at work, but when I'm at home, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be in their lives. I'm going to be communicating with them. I'm going to be fun. All these things that I want to be because I'm going to make it happen and, and no excuses. Uh, I I'll give you an example. I, I spoke in, um, in Minneapolis this guy raises his hand at this moment. He goes, Dan, this could not be happening at a more appropriate time in my life. So this is what just happened to me last night. He said, I got home late. The kids were waiting for me. I had to jump on a conference call. So I went to my safe zone, which he says was my car in the driveway <laughs> where it could be quiet. And he said, and all four kids found me, the little kids, and they each took a window while he's on this conference call. And they just started banging on the window. And they were yelling, just play with us play with us. And they're banging on the window. And he said, I am not present in my children's lives. Mm. And, and it, you know, he said that has to change today. And I said, well then do it. Cause guess what? Telling me it's going to change makes no difference whatsoever. Yeah. But do it. And you know, who knows it's his life, it's his legacy. And so for all your listeners, I just challenge you to, you know, just see what to, to be present. If they have two hours, give them two hours, three hours, whatever it is, but be present in their lives, engage them. And to me, what I've learned is presence is more of a mindset because the work never ends. I mean, you're in a business, I'm in a business where more work, you know, you think you can check off all your to-dos. More work just typically creates more work because it's a it's an activity-based business or it's a progression-based business where you're putting more on your plate the more you do. So I think once people get in the mindset of that balance or are shattering that, as, as you mentioned earlier, the work is still going to be there, but you're going to view it so much differently that first things come first and the priority really takes a front seat to what should be most important. Because I think there's a lot of people I talk to, probably you as well, that say, oh, I would love to do that. I would love to spend more time with my kids, but I've got this new position. I've got this new role. I've got this new whatever where I'm traveling. I've got this, that, the other. Well, guess what? It's never going to change unless you change your mindset. And I've seen some of the busiest people in the world make that shift, as I'm sure you have, and learn how to spend more time on the things that matter. So thanks so much for that reminder to all of us. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's just ex exciting opportunity. You know, you know what I love about life is that when you, when you put the kitchen cabinet together, people are going to tell you that anyway. You're going to have the right people surrounding you that are going to say, hey, you're working too hard or you're not being focused or you're, you're not present in your current life. That's where that kitchen cabinet comes in. So if you can get those two things right, it just starts to change everything. Absolutely. I know one of your big focus items that you'd like to talk about as well is how to view crisis. As I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show, talk to us a little bit about what took you down that path of all the things that have really impacted you and how you speak to your clients or you speak to people listening to you about crisis and how to view that? Yeah. So I, I think that there's a, it's a life, I think it's a life altering paradigm shift on how you view crisis. And, and so when I get up in front of these groups, I will say, literally, I will, I'm going to change the way you view crisis for the rest of your entire lives forever in four minutes or less. And then I say, it's a, I know it's a big you know burden on my shoulders, but here goes. And, and what I really say is, and this is my theory, anyone can sail a ship through calm waters. It takes a real leader, a real captain to take a ship your family, your company, through rough seas, the crisis, with its crew, by the way, your family members, your employees, and here's the differentiator. Here's the kick. Bring yourself and everyone with you who has survived the storm, the horrible storm, out the other side, even stronger than when they started. Because what now binds everyone together? The shared what? 
you know, the shared experience, right. right? The shared pain, the shared struggle. And then I put up on the screen this eight and a half by 11 sheet, you know, it's a sheet of paper says it, it has danger, opportunity, crisis in Mandarin Chinese. And I say, what looks interesting about that? And the first symbol of danger and the first symbol of opportunity together equal the word crisis. And I love that from this perspective. In every crisis, there is an element of danger and an element of opportunity. And normal leaders, not exceptional, normal leaders, when they're in crisis, curse, yell, scream, kick, fight, punch, kick, you know, run away. But exceptional leaders understand that and they take a step back and they say, wow, I'm in a very difficult situation. Where, you know, where, where is the danger and how do I minimize it? Where's the opportunity to how to drive myself and my family toward it? And, and so it's not that they ignore it, but they just put things in perspective. Like I need to identify the danger and minimize it identify the opportunity and drive myself, you know, everybody toward it. And the example that I give is like, it, it, and, and I hope your listeners really can envision this because for the rest of your lives, when you are in crisis and look, I'm the eternal optimist, but I'm not a blind optimist. If this building's burning, let's get out. You know, I, crisis will come. Next time it comes, this is what I hope your listeners envision, that they're at a crossroads, two roads, you know, sh- shooting off, just like the Robert Frost poem, two roads diverge in the yellow wood and I, I took the one less traveled by where you're at that crossroads and you have two choices. You either let it define and defeat you this crisis or, or you let it empower you and strengthen you. And I just, I I really, people will try to take you down the define and defeat because misery loves company, but you don't have to participate. You don't, you can actually go down this other one where it empowers. So you see that in these tough times in life, these are the times that make us stronger. These are the times that build us up. These are the times that, and I don't want to say make life exciting because sometimes they're really challenging. You know, I mean, it could be loss of life. It could be everything, but really empower us and strengthen us to handle the next crisis, the next opportunity within our life. And, and, and that's how I view things. So it's not that I ignore them, but I just choose in my life not to let them defeat me, to devour me, you know, to, to, to consume me but instead to make me stronger each and every time. And I just challenge your listeners to change that mindset. And it's literally a mindset shift to say, all right, here it is. You know, let's go, let's go. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to build it. Cause people are watching everybody. They're watching to see how you handle it. And those kids, they're going to handle crisis the same way you did. Your employees are handled crisis the same way you did. So they're watching you as a leader. So lead, own it and lead. Man, great lessons on leadership, especially I love the crisis piece there. That is so awesome. Dan, as we get ready to wrap up the podcast here, where can we steer more listeners your way? Uh, especially, you mentioned the ebook a second ago. I want you to mention that website again as far as the kitchen cabinet, but also the other book that you've written and um, anything else that, you, that we can use to steer listeners your way. Well, the best you know, the best place to start is my website. It's Quiggle Group. That's Q-U-I-G-G-L-E, quigglegroup.com. Um, you can get the ebook at quigglegroup.com forward slash kitchen cabinet. Um, I also have a book, Lead Like Reagan, Lead Like Reagan. It's on Amazon or, um, you know, lots of different places, uh, different bookstores online. But but in the end, you know, here's my hope. And, and that's why I love what you're doing, Jared. I mean, I, I think that there's there's power in investing in others. And, and I think that I, I know this isn't you're not supposed to say this in business, but I'm a karma person. So I believe that you do the right, you know, you invest in others, you invest, you know, invest in your employees, your family, it's going to come back to you tenfold, whether you want it to or not. And if it doesn't, who cares? You did the right thing anyway. But, you know, we just need to invest in others, create that vision, 
you know, surround ourselves with the right people, be present in our lives, you know, view crisis differently, find the opportunity, even when things are going bad, let it strengthen us and empower us. And I think that we do all of those things and, you know, it just helps us, it just helps us be more successful and more, uh, have a more fulfilling life. That's so awesome. Dan, thanks so much. I was so glad when your team reached out and got us connected because once I started digging into some of your material, I just, I wanted my listeners to hear about it. So I hope you guys go and tune into his podcast. Give us the name of the podcast again. It's Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacy. So how do you take something from that garage and build it into something great? So we, I interview successful CEOs and leaders on, you know, how do they build culture? How do they, you know, what are the big traits that they look for in their top people? How do they, who do they surround themselves with? You know, so I really, like I said, it's it's, it's like what you're doing, you know, being a lifelong learner, learning along the way. Uh, I, I just really appreciate you having me on the show. I had a ton of fun and uh, wish you the best as you go about helping people just get, the, really reframing is a lot of what we talked about today. And I find that though that sounds simple, it's actually very tough to do in leadership roles or in the family balance role, you know, shattering that balance, uh, I should say. And we need people like you out there just uh, pushing that message so that we can all learn from it. So thanks so much for your time here today. And we wish you the best. Well, thank you, Jared. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, I loved having Dan on the show today and hope you took a ton away from his peak performance message. If you guys would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do so is to shoot my team an email at info at success101podcast.com or you can catch me in the world of social media on Facebook, on the Success 101 community page, on Instagram under the name at success101podcast or on Twitter under Warren Jared. I'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode. Until then. Mm-hmm.